Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. I'm Connie Huck and in this episode I'm joined in a very Christmassy Penguin studio by singer-songwriter who's just turned his hand to writing children's books. There's no end to his talents. He's here to talk about his debut novel, The Christmasaurus. He's Tom Fletcher. Welcome, Tom. Hi, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Do you like all this Christmas paraphernalia we've got in here? I love it. It feels like home. If only podcasts were visual. There's a tree and it's decorated with lights and we've got Santa hats and Tom has also brought along five objects that have influenced his writing in some way and I cannot wait to find out what they are. Now, Tom, the Christmasaurus tells the story of a little boy called William and a rather special dinosaur and the magical adventure that they embark on one Christmas Eve. Now, this book is full of surprise twists and turns. How did you come up with the idea? Well, it actually all started with a song that I'd written called The Christmasaurus. And that was the starting point. It was the catalyst for for the whole book, really. I was just thinking about what is this story then, if it was about a Christmas dinosaur. And I just had this idea of a dinosaur pulling a young boy in a wheelchair through the sky like Santa's reindeer pulls his sleigh. And I I connected with that emotionally and thought, well, there's, there's an interesting story in that. And who are these characters? Who is this young boy in a wheelchair? Who is the dinosaur? How did they meet? And I didn't really realise at the beginning what a challenge it was going to be having my main character represent young wheelchair users. Mm. Um, you know, that was a, a big kind of... Um, responsibility. A, a big responsibility mm. that I realised very early on I needed to do a lot of research for. Um, but it all started with a, a song and that one image. Wow. So... Actually, that's quite interesting. The whole story was built around that image. Yeah. And what was the song? Was it for your children initially? or? Yeah, well, I basically had written... Uh, I'd been writing picture books with my bandmate Dougie um, yeah. about another dinosaur called the dinosaur that pooped. So yes. there was the dinosaur that pooped Christmas, that pooped the planet, and, and uh, so he pooped mm. stuff. And it just kind of came from that. I'd been writing songs around those books, not for anything in particular, just for, for fun, really. And and one of them ended up being this song called The Christmasaurus. And then, so when I started writing the novel The Christmasaurus, I realised that actually that song could be sung by one of the characters and it ends up being sung by Santa. It's when he names the Christmasaurus. So I, as I was writing the book, I would think, oh, that's an interesting moment for a song. And then I'd go away and write that song. And then I'd write another song and think, oh, that's a really good moment for the book. And then I'd put that moment in the book. And so when I got to the end, I basically had a book and a story and like 10 songs that yeah. helped tell the story. So I got to the end and, and had basically written a musical and a book at the same time. That's brilliant. It's like a mutual symbiosis sort of each yeah. bit helping you. Well, my, li- my life has been music for, well, since I was tiny, you know, I've grown up around music. But, you know, being in the band, my life has been based in music for the last 13, more than 13 years. Yeah. And every project I've worked on outside the band has some sort of musical element to it. And so it just kind of felt natural. So did you love dinosaurs as a kid? Is that yeah. where dinosaurs came from? I've loved them since I was tiny. I mean, I remember seeing Jurassic Park when I was, I guess I was like six or seven. And, you know, it terrified me, but that excited terrified where you love it like you're watching through your fingers because yeah. it's so Behind scary. Behind the cushion yeah, peeking like, out. Yeah. And I just was fascinated you know from a very young age and then Christmas has always been really magical like in my family. I've got a younger sister so and it was always just a really special time of year and I never grew out of that. And so, yeah, when I was, you know, looking at writing a, a book, I just thought, well, what do I... This what is do brilliant. I? Well, they this say is you should all write the what... things you love. Yeah, basically, Christmas, Christmas and dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, yeah. This is this is the dream in music. <laughs> You've managed to put all the songs in there as well, which is perfect because the elves are always coming out with brilliant songs. So did you try out any of the uh, drafts on your own children? Because you've got two 
two youngins of your own, haven't you? Yeah, so I think so. Uh, Buzz, who's the uh, who's my oldest son, he um, he's only just really at the age where. So I'm reading it to him now, but mm. when I was writing it, he was too young really to you know to understand it. But I did like sing him the song, so I'm always kind of singing. And so Buddy's too young, isn't he? Yeah, he's only ten months. But I mean, we do story time at night time together, so they're both there. And Buddy just, you know, tries to, you know, rip the pages out of the book. And Buzz now sits and listens, which is great. And he he always, when he gets into the chapter, he says, "No, finish it, do more, do more," which is really nice. He loves Daddy's books. Yeah, because two and a half year olds don't lie. So if he didn't want it, he would ask for something else. They certainly don't lie, and they don't muck about. They're very blunt when they tell you if they don't like something. (laughs) But no, that's great. And you're supposed to read to kids when they're really young, because even though Buddy's young he's taking it all in oh yes i mean so, we did it with buzz we, we read to him since he was you know tiny tiny and um i remember the first time i read to him it was um uh, guess how much i love you oh, and yeah. uh, and you know he was tiny he was you know weeks old probably and oh. days old and I, I cried when i got to the end and i'd never read it before oh. it's such an emotional ending but i, I love it, that story time you know it's just a nice bit of calm just before bed it's a really important special time i think yeah definitely well look without any further ado i reckon we should meet william trundle and his dad bob trundle in an extract from the Christmasaurus read by Paul Shelley. There's something you should know about William Trundle. William liked dinosaurs. Actually, he didn't just like them, he loved them. In fact, he loved them so much, I should probably shout it like this. William loved dinosaurs! William had... Oh, sorry. William had dinosaur pyjamas, dinosaur socks, dinosaur pants... A dinosaur-shaped toothbrush, dinosaur wallpaper, two dinosaur posters, a dinosaur lampshade, and more dinosaur toys than he could fit into a bag for life. But if there was one thing William knew for sure, it was that you could never have too many dinosaur toys. William lived in a wonky little house on the edge of a busy town, on the edge of a busier city. But even though the house was small, it never really felt that way because only two people lived in it. William and his dad, Bob Trundle. Now, I bet you're wondering why William didn't have a mum. Well, of course, he did have a mum once. But sadly, she died a long time ago when William was very young. So it had been just William and Mr Trundle for as long as William could remember. As well as dinosaurs, William loved Christmas, but not half as much as his dad did. Mr Trundle loved Christmas so much that whenever Christmas Day was over, he would sob uncontrollably for a whole week, sometimes until the end of January, desperately clinging on to Christmas. He even had a secret Christmas tree hidden in his wardrobe which was permanently decorated, and it lit up when he opened the door to get his socks. Each morning, as Mr Trundle got dressed, he would look at his secret tree and say to himself, Every step you take away from last Christmas brings you one step closer to the next. It was these words that got him through the year. I love those words. They're great. <laughs> Did you used to have dinosaur toothbrush, dinosaur duvet cover, dinosaur everything? I still do. So literally everything on that list is mine, basically. And I, I bet you love it now, having two young sons, that you can pretend you're buying all the toys for them. I know. And really, you're indulging yourself. Yeah, and also, yourself. like, it's, it's harder getting, you know, dinosaur stuff that fits me. So I'm quite <laughs> jealous of my, my kids' wardrobes now. But, yeah, I've got a lot of that stuff. And, you know, also, like, Mr Trundle, I, th- I feel like... 
he is basically me. Of all the characters in the book, I probably put most of myself into his character. Really? And yeah. is William like you when you were younger? I think so, yeah. Or a combination of the two, I think. You know, between, mm. between William and, and Mr Trundle, I'm, I'm somewhere in, in, in the middle. Do you base all your characters on real people that you know? Not all of them, but I think I take elements or like things that the characters experience. So if, even if a character's not 100% based on someone I know, it might just be, you know, one character trait of them or an experience they've had might be something that I know has happened to someone. Right, so your family better look out. Yeah, you better watch out. Yeah. One, of the, one of the characters actually named after a, a friend of mine's mum and an ex-girlfriend yeah, ah, combined. Interesting. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be many more books to come. So, yeah, I hope so, yeah. yeah you'll be grabbing inspiration it's everywhere watch you out. go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what's Christmas like in your house? I guess... Buzz has got to the age where he's really into it now. Yeah, so this, actually, this is a really special Christmas. It's Buddy's first Christmas, and Buzz, it's his first one where he knows yeah. exactly what's going on. Mm. He's totally aware of it, and uh, so that's, yeah, it's really exciting. We can really, um, it's really magical. Has he written his letter to he Santa? He hasn't done it yet. He's leaving it very, very late. But <gasps> he has told me what he wants. He's insistent. Ah. He wants a blue, shiny aeroplane. Well, you better make sure Santa so, gets that letter. <laughs> we, need to, we need to make that letter soon. Yeah. Okay, so time then for your first object, which is? Mr Trundle has a secret Christmas tree that he has permanently decorated in his wardrobe mm. all year round. So that is basically based on my own Christmas tree that I have all year round. So it's not as elaborate as Mr Trundle's. It's actually a bit of a disappointment when you see it. But so this is my <laughs> this is my little Christmas tree. It's cute. I like it. I mean, because I'm actually quite a fan of tacky Christmas decorations. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It's a very bright green, tinselly Christmas tree with wonky branches. But that's only because they're wiry and they've all got squashed. Yeah, it's in been them. in my bag. But that makes it sort of more lovable and authentic. Yeah. And, yeah. You feel and, sorry for it a bit, don't you? Yeah, and the base is sort of a similarly bright green foil number. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's kind of lurid but beautiful yeah, at so the this, same time. This sits on my bedside table year-round. Really? Yeah. And what did your wife have to say about that when you first well, got I think together? she's just come to, like, accept my weird obsession with Christmas. I think she just uh, deals with it now, Is she basically. embracing it or tolerating it? Every now and then she'll encourage it and then I think she instantly regrets it. Like she's throwing me two Christmas themed birthday parties and my birthday's in July. Okay. But she goes to town and she'll put up the Christmas tree and I'll have Christmas cards instead of birthday cards and Christmas dinner for the meal and stuff like that. And then I think afterwards she kind of regrets it because I find it pretty hard letting go of Christmas after that. Oh, even though the sun is shining through the window. Oh, it's the weirdest you're, thing, yeah. Like you're the, boiling hot. I know, it's so shiny. The next morning when you wake up and you feel like it should be Boxing Day and it's just like July 18th. Oh. oh. It's July the 17th. Is it really? Yeah. How weird <laughs> that was is that? Weird. Oh, anyway, sorry, moving on. Um, oh, wow, sorry. Birthday alike. Have you ever had a Christmas birthday party? No, I might do that this year. It's really good fun. It's not a bad idea. And you can get everything for it in the January sales exactly. as well. It's, it's cheaper than Christmas. Wow, cool. I'm going to do that. Let's this just move year. Christmas, everyone. Yeah, we should have a joint party. Cool, right. Well, anyway, back to the story. Um, in the North Pole, the elves that you've got in your book, they don't actually make the toys, do they? No. Why did you decide to make them dig them up and mine them? That's very novel. I like it very much indeed. How did that come to your head? Well, I just thought... To your warped mind. <laughs> well, I just thought there's lots of traditions and things about Christmas that we all just... We all know... But I wondered if maybe, you know, it's, they've just been around for so long that the stories have just kind of changed over the years as they've been, to, you know, like my parents told me about Christmas and I heard about it at school and on. But I wonder if actually it's just a bit like, you know, you play Chinese whispers and it yeah. kind of, the story changes, it goes around. Or maybe exactly. I just thought, 
So maybe the elves are involved in the toy somehow, but maybe they don't make them. Maybe it's something else. And so when I was, you know, creating my universe and my world in the North Pole, I just wanted to play on the things that we all know and understand about Christmas, but make it slightly different. Do you know what? I think it's an improvement because technology is progressing and progressing and progressing. Those elves, I mean, are they all expected to just keep up with it all? I I think mining presents is the way forward. Right, well, let's hear again from the audiobook of the Christmasaurus. In this extract, a group of elves come across something unexpected in the ice. They had been digging holes, eating crumpets and drinking tea all morning and were starting to think about lunch. North Pole elves were very small but were always very hungry. We've no more crumpets left to munch, said Sprout. I'm hungry, let's go back for lunch. But Snozzletrump wasn't listening. Snozzletrump was inside a long tunnel he'd been digging in the ice for the past two hours. He was deep in thought and lost in the song he was singing to himself. I've been digging through snow and ice for many days and countless nights so that every girl and every boy gets a special Christmas egg. There was a great gasp from all the elves. Spudcheeks even dropped his half-crumpet in the snow, buttered side down. That line didn't rhyme, chimed Snowcrumb from the back of the concerned group. It was very rare that a North Pole elf would ever not rhyme. I seem to have found something strange in the ground, yelled Snozzletrump, coming back to his rhyming senses. The seven elves outside the tunnel dropped their tea and crumpets at once and rushed forward to take a look. Specklehump adjusted the great brass lantern he was carrying on a long pole so that it shone its light over their heads. The ice tunnel lit up in great blues and yellows, and what the elves saw left them all completely gobble-mouthed, pokey-eyed, wonky-brained, and confused. It was an enormous frozen egg. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> that was an extract from the Christmasaurus, read by Paul Shelley. So what was it like going from writing songs with McFly to writing a children's book? Is it a really different discipline? Well, because I'd written picture books with Dougie first, yeah. and, and they're nonsense rhyme, and so they, they were very similar to writing songs, whereas the novel was, you know, it's something completely new for me and completely different, and structuring a story, you know, over a much larger body of work. But actually, I found the actual process of writing and coming up, or like conceiving the ideas, is very similar, really. Like, me, writing songs is just telling stories, really. And so, yeah, I found the, the actual creative process very similar. It's just a lot longer and you have to be a bit more disciplined with yourself to sit down and write it. You know, that was, that's the, totally. the kind of the challenge. The challenge, actually, is when you have kids and you've got a busy like, band schedule and touring, it's just finding time to sit down and, and actually write it. Whereas coming up with the ideas is the, the fun part. So you said you started off with the picture and that is a really iconic sort of picture when I view it in my mind of William in the wheelchair being pulled along in the sky by the Christmasaurus. Then did you have to map out the whole story or did you start writing and see where it took you or did you have spider diagrams? Because it is, it's an intricate plot. Yeah, and I'd not written a novel before so I didn't really know how it was going to work best for me. You just kind of have to try different things and uh, and I write quite visually, I think. So I had a few kind of key moments, like visual ideas like that one that kind of helped me plot the story out and then I wrote probably about a 10,000 word synopsis so I, I just mapped out almost in scenes basically if mm. I was, as if I 
I was watching it as a film. Storyboarding it. Yeah, basically like that. So, and I got loads of like visual references. I think the ways that I imagined the characters to look, or other characters that I know that had similar character traits. Just pulled them all together onto you know into my laptop, and so I had this big kind of document with loads of like pictures, just that I found inspiring, and and then like this ten thousand word breakdown of the story and then I just got to the point where I was planning and planning and planning and planning and I thought actually do you know what I think I need to just start writing now I think I, I know the story and then I wrote the the first draft in about three weeks so I just sat in my kitchen and just wrote and wrote and wrote uh, every day so as soon as the kids would nap or when they go to bed at night I would just sit for hours wow and, and write and then three weeks later I'd finished the first draft and I was like yes I'm done <laughs> you know I thought I was finished I didn't realize you know the, the long process of edits and you know the drafts that follow got you so now, on to your next object. Mm-hmm. So actually going on from the first draft then, I wrote the whole thing in the kitchen and uh, I was writing in July and I had some Christmas blend coffee beans <laughs> and to get me in the mood, I was trying to make everything as Christmassy as possible. Well, so you just had your birthday, hadn't you? With had, your Christmas-themed yeah, ex- birthday exactly, party. Exactly, so. I had a Christmas birthday. <laughs> I had Christmas music playing and I have my Christmas red mug I don't recommend it because you're probably not meant to drink this much coffee, but I was making a big pot of coffee in the morning with my red Christmas mug uh, with you Christmas need music caffeine, playing. young children and a whole book to write. Exactly. That, yeah. I would sit and just drink a whole pot of coffee out of my Christmas, my Christmas blend coffee in my Christmas mug and I just, you know, would get into the zone, I think. Right, OK. Talking of which, let's go back to the North Pole with another extract from the audiobook of the Christmasaurus. Everyone in the room was still except for Santa. He took one brave step forward and peered into the shell. He couldn't see much. It was all very dark, but it looked like there was something shiny inside. As Santa leant in for a closer look, that shiny something blinked. It's an eye, gasped Santa and the eye was looking out at everyone in the room. Santa almost jumped out of his skin, which made all the elves almost jump out of their skins. Once they'd all got back in their skins, everyone laughed nervously at themselves for being such scaredy-cats. That's when it happened. Santa and the elves dived for cover as the egg exploded into a billion sparkly pieces, showering the room in shimmering shell that fell like glitter dust over their heads. Slowly, Santa got to his feet and sneezed off some of the shell dust from his moustache and beard. He brushed glitter from his underpants and wiped his full moon spectacles, and when he put them back on his nose, he couldn't quite believe what his eyes saw. In the middle of the room, where the egg stood moments ago, was something impossible. But this was the North Pole, where anything is possible. What is it? cried the elves. Then they heard a roar. Well, bless my cringles, Santa said, with a tear in his eye. It's a baby dinosaur. An extract from the Christmasaurus. Okay, I'm ready for another object. What okay, you got? so this one is my iPod, and it's an old school, old fashioned oh, yeah. one with, bu- with buttons. There's no touch screens on this one. <laughs> so music is, you know, my whole life. Like I find music so inspiring, whatever I'm doing. I'm a bit old school. You know, like now you can get anything. 
you know, or any music that you want. But I yeah. like my own music collection. So I've got it still on like an old school iPod where you have to download everything and you have to. How weird is that? That's actually old fashioned. That you still have, like downloading it is old fashioned now. But you know, one where it's like your own collection and like my own playlist and everything that I've had for years and years and years and years. So throughout writing the Christmas chorus, you know, I'd have headphones in and was just listening to obviously Christmas music a lot when I was doing that. And then also I'd make demos of the songs that I was writing for the story for the Christmas Aura. So I'd have those on, you know, to kind of keep me in the zone and, you know, help inspire where the book was going. It's a really good process, actually, because it means that you're just totally submerged in the creativity. Yeah, it's quite consuming, but I, I, I enjoy getting completely taken away in that one... You're the equivalent of a method actor. You're a method yeah. writer, so you have to drink your Christmas drink and be surrounded with your decorations yeah, maybe that's what it listen is. to your Christmas music. That's and, totally it. Yeah, submersive writing. This could take <laughs> off. I just become Christmas when I'm writing the Christmas Aurus. Yeah, <laughs> like it. Now, William, who's the hero of the Christmas Aurus, is in a wheelchair after an accident, which he had when he was little. Why did you think it was important to have a lead character in a children's book who's in a wheelchair I just thought it hadn't been I hadn't seen that I hadn't seen it been done mm. and I thought it gave him an interesting backstory and then I, the more I as I started doing my um, you know planning the story out I realized you know I don't have any connections with wheelchair users I don't know any in my family and I, I just suddenly thought actually this is quite a task that I'm taking on and I really need to do some research and um I'd met Hannah Cockroft, the Paralympian, at a few McFly shows. She was a McFly fan. So I sent her a message and said, hi, you know, wonder if you don't mind me asking, but I, I could do with a bit of help. I'm writing this book. And she said you should talk to WizKids, who are a charity in the UK who supply wheelchairs to children. And I started following them online and they instantly messaged me saying, hi, do you need any information? You know, thank you for following us. I was like, well, I'm writing this book. Funny you should yeah, say that. Can you please help me? And so I went in and they were amazing. They just, you know, they introduced me to a load of wheelchair users who gave me so many stories, really inspiring stories, really fun, heartwarming stories and uh, and just really opened up and were fully supportive of the book because you don't see many disabled main characters across any media, whether it's books, TV, film, especially not in, in children's media. So they were so supportive of it and really encouraging. And yeah, and I just, I couldn't have done it without them really. And you know, William in the book, for the most part, the book is 10 years old and it's such a such an important part in a child's life. And when I was hearing stories about, you know, some of the people I met through WizKids, they were saying actually for kids who have been in wheelchairs, they've been using wheelchairs since a young age, that's a really defining time because it's a time when they start to realise that not everybody is in a wheelchair and they are considered to be different. Mm. And it can be quite a, you know, quite a challenging time. And so it was really important that I understood how how they dealt people with dealt it. with that yeah. to put that into William's character. Yeah, and you've also covered other aspects of being young and growing up sort of through adversity because William gets bullied mm -hmm. and his mother's passed away and he worries, doesn't he, about his dad being lonely and his dad not having enough money. Yeah. Why did you think it was important to include these things in the book? I actually think it's really important in, in children's fiction that you know you don't need to dumb down to kids you know kids are able to deal with important grown-up issues it's a book that is magical it's you know it's about santa and elves and there's lots of very fun silly christmasy stuff in it that i loved writing that stuff but i wanted there to be you know a real message and something that was really relatable um reality and, and just real yeah. yeah you know so i wanted to have two sides to the book this kind of magical fantasy of the north pole and then the reality of a young boy growing up uh who's a wheelchair user and, and the reality of that and um and so i just felt it was important to have the contrast yeah definitely well in this next extract from the christmasaurus william is being attacked by the school bully 
But of all the rotten things Brenda did to William, the worst of all was about to come one snowy Friday afternoon at the beginning of December, the very day the Christmasaurus was feeling glum far away in the North Pole, in fact. She didn't use sticks or pins. She used the most powerful weapon of all. Words. Their teacher, Mrs. Dribblepot, had just popped out to the loo. And as Brenda never missed an opportunity to make William's life miserable, as soon as the door clicked shut, a shiny black stapler flew across the classroom, straight at William's head. William tried to block it with his exercise book, but the force of the throw was so strong that the book smacked him straight in the face and the stapler stapled it to his forehead. The noise that followed sounded like a laughter bomb exploding in the classroom. That's when William felt it happening. He couldn't stop it. The worst thing possible. He began to cry. Are you crying? asked Brenda, with a huge, evil smile expanding across her pretty face. No, lied William, quickly wiping the tears from his cheeks and plucking the staple out of his forehead. You are, aren't you? Wheelie's crying, everyone. Look! Brenda called out. And the laughter level doubled. It wasn't that anyone actually found it funny. It was because they were scared not to laugh. Cry, baby, cry, baby, Brenda chanted. Why don't you go crying to your mummy? The whole room suddenly fell silent. Whispers of, Brenda doesn't know quickly circled the classroom. Know what? Brenda demanded. He doesn't have a mum, called out Freddy, the tallest kid in the class from the back of the room. You don't have a mum? asked Brenda. He lives with his dad, yelled Lola, one of William's pre-Brenda friends. Brenda paused for a moment, then that smile grew back. Well, it's your dad I feel sorry for, she said, casually twiddling a pencil around her perfectly twirly hair. I mean, can you imagine having to live with Wheelie William? It's hard enough going to school with him. It must be so difficult for your poor old daddy pushing you around everywhere on his own. You must feel like such a lump of uselessness. I know I would if I were like you. Thank goodness I'm not. An extract from the Christmasaurus read by Paul Shelley there. So, Tom, who's, who's Brenda based on? <laughs> <laughs> actually, there's a few people. Her name's based on a couple of people I know. And actually, I think she looks like my sister and my sister was little, yeah, but my sister wasn't that nasty. You have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my sister's quite nice. I actually like meeting kids who are at that point in the book and seeing them react to Brenda and how mm. mean she is and how nasty she is. Because when you're writing stuff, you don't know how far to push it or if you're going too far or not far enough and how much you really need to kind of spell it out and like, you know, how, how mean you want someone to be. Especially those when characters are the best, aren't they? Honestly, they're so good. And Brenda actually wasn't in the first draft of the book at all. She didn't exist. <gasps> no and way. Then, yeah, and then as it went on, when I started doing edits, I realised I wanted this other character and she becomes an important character in the plot and, you know, actually does something great and... 
thinking, actually, now I think she's my favourite character. That <laughs> She's just so much fun to write. And now seeing kids, you're like, oh, Brent, like, I hate her. She's so mean. I can't believe, you know, she's so horrible. But it's really good. Like, it's really nice to, We've to see that. We've all encountered a Brenda at some point. Exactly. Yeah, I know I have. Yeah, it's been oh, a few. Yeah, I bet. I bet. OK, so on to your next subject then. OK, right. I'm going to go for a Christmassy one. So I have this little Christmas decoration is a mouse. Cute. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. Uh, he's a non-mouse. So <laughs> I've um, I've had him since as long as I can remember. As you can probably tell, he looks a bit. He's seen better days. He looks. He's seen many really Christmases. Like sort of. He's from maybe the the seventies or the eighties. Yeah, he, he's and he's holding around. two symbols, like he's about to crash the symbols together. But it's just become tradition that. I put him on the tree. And so when I moved out, when I moved into the, the band house with McFly, they were all quite reluctant, actually, to have Christmas at the band house when we first moved really? in. And then, Shame I remember Harry, I think Harry was still in bed, so I, I took the opportunity, because he's quite a Scrooge, Harry. So right. I took the opportunity to take Danny and Dougie out to go and buy some Christmas decorations. And then I, I went home and I got um, I got my trusty mouse and he came over and, 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 made, and completed Christmas. So anyway, he came out and uh, he helped oversee the, uh, the writing of the Christmas chorus to try and get me in the, the Christmas mood in the summer. Oh, very cute. Was he sat on the table? He was at the, yeah, kitchen sat table, on the kitchen side. Next to the Christmas mug yep. <laughs> as you penned away. So now let's hear one final extract. Oh, that went quickly. It did. Boo! One final extract from the Christmasaurus. On the 1st of December, the Christmasaurus was walking alone around the outskirts of the Elf City with his head hanging low. The North Pole was getting into the full swing of Christmas, and the Christmasaurus saw a great snowman-snowball fight in the distant snowfields. But he was terrible at throwing snowballs with his tiny little dinosaur arms. The elves had erected the most enormous Christmas tree in the centre of the ranch, but he was completely rubbish at decorating Christmas trees. The tinsel always got caught up in his claws and tail. He couldn't swim like the narwhals or wrap presents like the fairies. In fact, when he thought about it, the Christmasaurus realised just how different he was. He really didn't fit in at all. The Christmasaurus let out a very low, very sad roar, leaving long, lonely claw prints behind him, his scaly tail dragging in the snow. He stared out into the distance over the great North Pole Mountains, and as the northern lights splashed their greens and blues across the sky, he wondered if there was anybody else in the whole wide world who was like him. Was there anybody out there who knew what it was like to be different? What the Christmasaurus didn't know was that there was someone, a long way away, who was looking up at the sky just like him, wondering the exact same thing. Someone who knew just what it was like to be different. You've already met him, of course. That someone was a small boy called William Trundle. Paul Shelley has got the most magnificent voice. Yeah. Did it... you pick a narrator from different narrators or how did... Yeah, well, I was originally going to do the audiobook and then we've been developing the Christmas Horus as an animated movie and we needed someone to narrate for the story reel that's being made and so he asked Paul to do it. 
And when I heard him, I was like, there's no way I can go in and try and do better than that. Because his voice just sounds, I don't know, it's just like, it reminds me of being read to when I was a kid and there's something really magical about it. And I've got a bit of an annoying, whiny voice. So I just thought I'd much rather him do it than me. So I ended up just keeping his audio. You have a lovely voice, oh, as thanks. many McFly fans <laughs> will testify. But he has got a brilliant voice for the Christmas Yeah. But I'm sure yours would be brilliant, but different. Oh, well, thank you. But, um, <laughs> oh, wow, so there's going to be a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a long, like a... An, Animation is a long process, so yes. it's a, and so it's, that's what I, what I love though is that it's not like oh, we were waiting for the book to be released and then if the book did well, someone would pick up the the book to turn it into a film. Everything just kind of started at once. So right even before I'd finished the book, we were starting the movie process. So it's kind of ongoing, and there's already a stage show going into London next year, and there's so many different aspects of it wow. that are you know coming to life already that normally take years and years and years to happen, and so it's quite overwhelming really. And I just feel like it's a real honour to be part of people's Christmases you know that's a real nice thing to see families now reading the books to their kids and you know exploring my take on Christmas it's really um it's a real honour totally it's such a magical time of year so time now for your final object well there's actually two paired into one Mm. because they kind of go hand in hand now so I'm not that superstitious but this thing is like a necklace basically and it's made of wood and it's got this funny little thing. It looks like a chicken foot that's carved into it. And I grew up in South Harrow and there's a little market under the tube station. There was a little shop there that sold, like, gemstones and stuff. And I saw it one day and I must have been about 10, I think, 10 or 11. And I've had it since then and it's just become, like, my lucky charm. Aww. And so I t- it goes everywhere with me. Like, the, the necklace, the strap thing broke, so now I just carry it in my rucksack. So whenever I'm doing anything, it's kind of always there and with me. Can I take a educated guess? Yes. Is the reindeer antler, was that inspired by this? How did you know? How did you know? Ah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, I felt like it's been giving me luck and then inspiration for the book. And then this is a little star that my wife got me. I don't know what it's made of. It could be made of some sort of gemstone, but it's like a little star. And she got me, we were in Australia with McFly recording an album and she just came back. Oh, and she had to go home early, that's right. And she left this on my pillow. And so now they go hand in hand as my two little lucky charms. Oh. And so they yeah, so they were with me through throughout the writing process. Brilliant. I bet they will bring you loads of luck in the years to come. Oh, Talking you. of which, what's next? What's next for you? Do you have more stories? Yeah, so I've loved writing the Christmas Horus. So I've already been writing more books. So there are definitely more stories to come. Uh, it's a really That is the right answer. I love it. Like it's a whole new I've always wanted to write, but even since I was a kid and I've written stories, you know, throughout my life. I love the fact that I'm, I'm able to write. That's something I definitely want to carry on doing, and as long as as long as people let me, I uh, think they will. And, then, and music, you know, back in the studio with the boys, with the band in the new year, hopefully, and then yeah, and then next year, I mean, I'm on stage with the Christmas Horus. Exciting, so, yeah, very exciting, exciting times all round. Well. Thank you so much, Tom Fletcher, for coming in and sharing your objects. It's a pleasure. And happy Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and everyone listening. Double Down is book 11 in the best-selling Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. Give your ears a treat and try the audiobook edition. The pressure is really starting to pile up on Greg Heffley. His mum thinks video games are turning his brain to mush so she wants her son to put down the controller and explore his creative side. My parents are always saying the world doesn't revolve around me. But sometimes I wonder if it actually does. When I was a little kid, I saw this movie about a man whose whole life is secretly being filmed for a TV show. 
This guy is famous all over the world, and he doesn't know it. Well, ever since I saw that movie, I've kind of figured the same thing is probably happening to me. At first, I was annoyed my life was being broadcast without my permission. But then I realized that if millions of people are tuning in every day to see what I'm up to, that's actually kind of cool. Zoo Wee Mama, available now on Amazon, iTunes, and Audible.